It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We are joined now by Brian Moynihan. He's chair of the, and CEO of Bank of America. Brian, thanks for being here. We're here for the, the Aspen Economic Strategy Group meetings, of which you're a part. It is about the economy. And uh, last time we talked, you were projecting at Bank of America a recession, mild recession, maybe Q4 into Q1 next year. You've changed your mind. Why? Well, first of all, it's a great setting. It's a beautiful setting, and there's a lot of great people here to talk about the economy. But our team basically has moved from a slight recession to no recession. And so in early next year, first quarter, second quarter, they had a slight negative quarters. They now have them positive 1% and a half a percent positive. And, but the more importantly behind that is what's really going on in terms of the unemployment rate projections. They're now at 4.3 peak unemployment in the latter part of 24 early 25, you're saying that's sort of an unemployment with slowdown, which is really what's going on. And we can talk more about it, but that's what's really going on is people are employed, they have money, they're spending money, and the Fed is trying to slow down the economy. And it looks like we're re reaching a pretty good equilibrium. You've said it's hard to have a recession when you've got unemployment in, in the fours. That's right. awfully hard to do. But what are you seeing in terms of jobs? Is there any softening in the market at all? Are you seeing at Bank of America or more broadly? Well, if you look, at, if you talk to our clients, you sort of see very specialized roles. Welders are still in high demand, even because construction's going on in all in the IRA and all the different building. That's one thing. But in general, if you take our company's example, last year this time it was a great resignation. Turnover was back up to 15 percent, which was higher than pre-pandemic. Um, it's now down to eight, seven to eight percent. Last year we hired 3,700 people in the month of June. This year we hired 900. I mean, and yet headcount keeps drifting down. And, and, and so I think a lot of employers are doing that same thing, which is managing headcount carefully. And that's why you've seen job openings drop by 20% in the last you know 12 months or so. It doesn't mean people are laying a lot of people off. That's happening here and there, really specialized industries. But people are being much more conservative in their employment. Last year, it was you posted every job known to man because you didn't know what was going to happen. Now, with the lower turnover, the labor market is a lot looser this year than it was last year, although the unemployment rate is still low. One of the things you have a lot of vantage into is consumer spending at Bank of America. What are you seeing in consumer spending? The consumer seems to still be spending, maybe softening a little bit, but how much dry powder do they have? Because we had thought they had a lot of excess savings they can still express. We're now hearing, for example, credit card balances are really going up. Yeah, so if you think about a consumer, it's their wages and wage growth. It's the money they have in their accounts from the stimulus and other things that went into their accounts uh, during the pandemic. It's their ability to borrow. And then it's the rate at which they have to pay to borrow. And so if you think about all that, what we see is consumer spending, if we were talking last year's time, it was 10% year over year. And, and that was inconsistent with a low inflation economy. That now is down to 5%. So you've seen it drop by half. And so year to date, it's 5%. Month of July, it's 4.5%. So you're seeing it slow down. And what it's spending at in the month of July is consistent with a lower inflation. It's very much like it was in 17, 18, and 19 as the Fed raised rates and the economy sort of settled in. And so I think 
there's always been this battle between the consumer and, and the Fed, and the consumer has pushed the, won the battle back a bit, but they've got to be careful of overwinning it now. And now the risk really goes to over-tightening and slowing down the consumer too much, and then we would have a recession. Well, let me take the flip side of that a second. A lot of talk about soft landing. Also, some people are saying maybe they won't, won't have a landing now. Is, what's the risk, actually, of inflation re-accelerating here because they haven't gone far enough? Well, I think, I think our economists think the chances that are low, and I think I agree that personally, and, and our team under Candace Browning Platt is one of the best teams in the business, and they're good at it. But what they're seeing, what the drag of higher rates it comes through very quickly in housing, instantaneously transmitted, car purchases, things which happen faster. But with you know, a lion's share of the mortgages, half or more under 3%, and, and, and you, you really think about only half of the home people who live in America have a mortgage. It, it tied up in our housing, the rent and other things. It's rent and it's new home purchases. Those both are under tax. Those have now mitigated. So you're seeing inflation come under control, even in these places are more rate sensitive. What you haven't seen is the impact on corporates yet. That's still ahead of us because corporations' uh, borrowing costs went up. They're starting to, uh, their activity uh, is that they're using the lines less, which means they are finding less opportunities to overcome that borrowing cost. Um, they're being more conservative on their debt. They've got to refinance some stuff. Good news is a lot of them financed at lower rates, and that has turned to it. But commercial real estate, the debate is. So a lot of the fiscal drag, uh, the drag from raising rates is still ahead of us. And that's why I think people are forgetting that they're still pretty constraining. Lending conditions are tighter. They just, the senior loan officer's survey just said it. So the impact is more in front of us for some of the rate increases and behind us. Yet you're seeing it already tip inflation, flattening out. Not down yet, but flattening out. And we, we still say it takes till 25 to get back to the target rates. What does all that mean for Bank of America and the way you run your business? You had a very strong quarter, particularly in trading and sales last yeah. quarter. Are you doubling down on that or are you being a little more conservative? Well, the trading and sales team, Jim and DeMar and team have done a great job and, and they had what, the best first half they've had. And we, we earned $15 billion plus in the first half of this year. The team's performing strong. The credit's in great shape. Uh, it, you know, stress test just went on, and our losses were lower than they were last year. And you know, we've been the lowest of our peers for almost every year, except for one out of the last 12 or 13 stress tests. So you put that all together, we're well prepared for whatever comes at us, and that's what we do. Jimmy and the team have done a great job in trading, but about three or four years ago, first under Tom Montag, and then Jimmy took over all the trading. We increased the size of balance sheet, the scope, the capital committed to business, the talent, and they've been able to get a good payback on that. And you know, the way they do it is, you know, we made money every trading day. If you look back across the last several years, it's very rare, maybe a couple times a quarter, we'll lose money. We just basically, the team runs a great business and they're doing a great job. Uh, the, the markets woke up yesterday to the announcement of the Fitch downgrade in yep. U.S. sovereign debt. And there's a debate debate about whether that was the right timing, was it the right thing. Uh, and the, the bond market now is actually responding a little bit to that. What's your take on that, on that derating? Well, I think it's, it's a bit of a non-event in the sense that you know, the U.S. has the ability to pay its debts and, and has shown that ability. It's sometimes interesting how we get there with the debt ceiling <laughs> increase and things like that, but they get there. Um, it's, a, it's the strongest economy in the world by a lot. It's the biggest economy, the strongest economy. It's where capital comes to them from around the world. Great incentives in the U.S. for uh, uh, companies around the world to invest and grow here. The IRA, the Infrastructure Act, the CHIPS Act, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the tax rates are lower, which makes it more competitive. So I, I don't worry about the fundamental ability to pay our debts. But if you separate the downgrade into two pieces, one is, you know, sort of the, the debts that continue to accumulate and will they start to outstrip the growth in the economy? Because right now with inflation, they've been kept at a lower level. 
That's a question. And then secondly, is there a willingness to deal with that? And that's, that, that's an honest debate, but the two sides have to have that debate, and that's a political process, and they have to have it. But the reality is, is the actual downgrade, as a person holds $300 billion more treasuries, it doesn't change our opinion of the U.S.'s credit worthiness. Well, what about that holding the U.S. treasuries? Because as you suggest, there is an issue at some point down the road. It's not clear when it would be. And when you talk about the process, the political process, it doesn't give a lot of comfort. That's one of the things that Fitch said, actually, is, you know, we got a problem, but also we got a process that doesn't seem to be able to deal with it. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the structural changes in America, you know, the demographics, the demands on Social Security and the you know, so-called entitlements over time as a percentage demands. Those are serious issues that you know, the political process and the citizenry has to be involved in, uh, not solvable in 10 minutes. Um, and, and so that's all good. And that's what we're talking about here at the Aspen Economic Strategies Group. You know, what are the thought processes between balancing those outcomes better? But it, you know, those are long-term questions. In the near term, there's a much bigger risk of some of the things that go on outside the United States to the economies of the world than there is inside the United States. We're, we're growing, people are employed, people are spending, and that's good news. And that will get, mean that the fiscal receipts of the U.S. will stay a little stronger on a relative basis. How much is this supported simply by the strength of the U.S. dollar? That is to say, people tend to turn to dollars when in doubt. They should because it's the you know it's a safe haven. It's what commerce is conducted in because in the end of the day the consumption power of the United States drives economies around the world. Therefore, there's you know U.S. consumers spend dollars. So if you're selling stuff in dollars, you got to be uh, exposed to dollar. And 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 so I think the idea of some of this debate about reserve currency status it's been tightening and, and the flight to quality in the U.S. tends to come now. Ten-year bonds moved up and everybody gets moved up. We're talking about the difference between you know three eighty three ninety and four ten four twenty. These are not very big moves in the grand scheme of things. It is happening quickly and people get uh, excited about who trade bonds is living. From the grander impact of the economy, those moves are needed to get the, ultimately the yield curve has to get back in sync or else we aren't taming the inflation or we're going to drive into a recession. When you talk about the strength of the U.S. dollar, is it stronger today as a reserve currency globally than it was 10, 20 years ago? And if so, why? Because I think the opportunities in the U.S. are the strongest. And that's why, you know, with a great financial system we have, with a great set of companies and innovation we have, the, the research universities we have, the things like, if we keep investing in all that and let capitalism and, you know, you United States-style capitalism drive, the U.S. will always be a favored place because other places are struggling with different systems that have proved not to be as beneficial, uh, with less innovation, less ability to tackle problems. And, and so, yes, it's interesting from time to time all what goes on. And But if you think about, you know, think about the late 60s to now, we've doubled the amount of people working in the United States. We were supposed to be taken over by Japan, Inc. We were, the computers were going to get rid of all the people. The people are still working. You know, we had the war in Vietnam. We had uh, uh, the political uh, constitutional crisis in Nixon president. You had uh, an oil embargo. All that stuff happened in the early 70s, and still a, a decade, you know, 50 years later, we have twice as many people work in this country. Since we talked last, Brian, we now have the proposed regulations on capital requirements yeah. from the federal bank regulators. We talked before, and you said 100 basis points, as I recall, a difference in the capital requirements would amount to $150 billion less your loan. Yeah. Now we have the proposals. What would it mean for Bank of America and for our banking system? Well, it, what it does is, it, it's not to get too technical in the grand scheme of things, but it, it changes the calculation of risk-weighted assets, RWA. And so it, the idea is that the estimates by the Fed is it's 15 to 20 percent of RWA increase. When you do that, then 10 percent of RWA at X and 10 percent of RWA at 1.1 times X means you have to have more capital. And so, so the amount of capital goes up. That then constrains lending because you can't do anything with that capital. If you did, then you'd have more RWA and you have to have more capital. So, so, but I think if you step back, 
this industry is well capitalized. It just proved it again in another crisis. It's well managed. It's well regulated. You've had successive Fed uh, regime, you know, chairs and people working in the chair, supervision vice chair over the years say the capital is adequate industry. It's well, it's well managed. It's well capitalized. They'll be in, the banks will fail. They fail. They failed throughout history. That happens. Um, but since the financial crisis, more people under the tent because the issue of the financial crisis, a lot of stuff wasn't a tent. The problem is if you get the capital regulations of the banking system too tight, you push stuff back outside the tent, and that's a concern. So as I look at it, one, give a set of rules, we'll live with it. Two, it won't, you know, Bank of America will adjust its business model to make it work. But what's been interesting about this is its competitive position in the United States versus Europe and others. This is making the bank industry all banks less competitive to mid-sized U.S. companies than foreign banks are to mid-sized U.S. companies participating in the same global supply chains in those countries. That's, that's more of a trade question and a balance of power question. That's one. And then second, I'm surprised by the amount of dissent at the governors of Federal Reserve. I've been working on Federal Reserve stuff for my whole career, 40 years now. And I was just surprised at the amount of debate, which shows you that, you know, whether it's mortgage loans on one side, whether it's uh, tax benefits or, uh, and treatment for uh, uh, Energy, clean energy investments, or whether it's the basic trading and things like that. There's got a lot of water that's got to go over the dam here to get these rules right, because there's a debate even among the governors themselves about what the right answer is. Over the years, Brian, you said there's a role for regulation, and you'll live with regulation, as you say you will with capital requirements. But what is the problem that's being addressed? That's what I don't quite understand. You talked about the crisis we had yeah. back in March with the banks. I'm not sure this addresses that. Well, and that's been the debate, and that's like, it, it, go read the dissents and the debate in the uh, th thing. So strong regulation is important. Uh, rapid growth in banks tends to come from things that turn out to be not so interesting after the fact. And um, so I think you know, that's the thing. They need to sort of come to a common agreement on Basel III across the world. We're just applying it with much more rigidity and, and requirements. And so if you look at the largest bank in France, UK, and Germany, they have about half the capital requirements that the largest banks in the U.S. do. So that, that gets into competitive question. And so I think people just have to look at it seriously, look at it relative to what we're trying to do here. We want the strongest banking industry. Our banking industry has better returns, has better things. But on the other hand, our multiples are half or less than the S&P multiples. There's a reason for that, which is investors are saying, wait a second, if the capital demands don't stop, we aren't sure that we can continue to invest. So there's a little bit of a countervail here that people have to pay attention to. And then back to your point, every 100 basis points of capital is 150, 100 billion less loans we at Bank America could do. And it, this applies across, they can't be done other places. Not, those companies aren't that sizable. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for spending time. It's really appreciate it. That's Brian Moynihan. He is the chair and CEO of Bank of America. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.